I'm forgetting the words, and I'm even looking at them sometime and mispronouncing them. All right, let's uh, pick up from where we left off on our Sunday school lesson last week. Uh, we're dealing with, I'm going to go ahead and call it a heresy of open theism. Ultimately, we are dealing with uh, the knowledge of God. And we're finding this is a complicated subject. The scriptures say his understanding is infinite. Uh, and we last week we went, and I used Dr. Frame. Uh, almost verbatim in many ways on his systematic theology um, as, as a springboard for our conversation. But we're talking about the attributes of God. We talked about His moral attributes, His goodness, His, his, uh, his grace, His mercy, His wrath, His righteousness. And now we're into what we would call His intellectual attributes, uh, and the first thing we wanted to talk about was his knowledge. Knowledge, of course, is related to his lordship. As Lord, he knows <laughs> because he's in control, he is, uh, he's in authority, and he's present in all things, or, or not in all things, but, but with all things, over all things as Lord. So he knows. And the Scripture's overwhelming, overwhelming uh, data shows that our Lord knows. Uh, turn to Acts 1. I want to look at two places in Acts, just a springboard, because we were introduced to this idea that if man is free, and the idea there is libertarian freedom, not creaturely freedom, as would have been taught by men like Jonathan Edwards or even uh, further back by, by uh, Augustine and others, uh, but libertarian freedom, that's this idea that, uh, that our, there is no influence or there is no cause to anything that we do or any decision we make. Uh, all of that is uncaused. Um, uh, and that's contrary to our experience because there's influences on every decision that I make and every decision you make. I, they're still made, made in the context of freedom. But the, we talked about the Calvinist understanding, uh, uh, foreordained, uh, he, foreknow, he, 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 he knows all things because he foreordained all things. And then the Arminian understanding that he knows all things, but he hasn't foreordained them. And then the Socinian who came along and says, well, the Arminian didn't go far enough. He, he does not know all things because he does not foreordain them. And if he foreordained them, then... Creatures like you and me cannot make decisions that God knows about. He may know when they happen, but he does not know before they happen. And so it's a, they're a try to defend libertarian freedom. They had to get rid of the knowledge of God of the future, that God cannot know the future. This is known as open theism. Uh, specifically, there's other things that the Socinians denied, uh, such as the blood atonement uh, or a substitutionary atonement, uh, uh, the deity of Christ. Other things are denied. 
by Socinians, and we have many Socinians among us in our culture. Uh, they got a cross on their on their door, <laughs> or on their steeple, and they got a, and they got robes, and they got pews, and they got songbooks. But they don't. And they even got a Bible, but they don't believe any of it. Uh, they are more culturally Christian than anything. But the uh, the Socinian era highlights open theism. And that's what we started talking about. What is the one thing that is prevalent in scriptures that shows that open theism is wrong? There's all kinds of it everywhere. In fact, we got one book in the Bible at the very end that's filled with it. Prophecy. God has shown that He knows beforehand what is going to happen and even ordains those things to happen before they happen, uh, whether that be Joseph going into Egypt, or Jesus Christ going to the cross, or Paul going to the mission field, or the end of days. Prophecy has shown that open theism is false. And we looked at all kinds of examples of that last week. I want to pick up where a couple verses that just shows uh, this in the book of Acts, and then we're going to pick up there, because now this week we want to look at the scriptures that open theists try to use to say that God does not know. But before we do, I want to just kind of couch again this understanding. Acts 1, and I know I said that five times and haven't turned there yet, uh, Jesus speaking, verse 6, he says, When they there were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own power. He's already marked the end. That is already under His authority and under His authority of those times and those seasons. Now go to Acts 17. Paul with those in Athens, the philosophers in Athens. Let's go back to verse 28. For in Him, that's in God, we live and move and have our being... As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think of the Godhead like silver or gold, not limited in any way. Amen. <laughs> a silver and gold, a stone graven by the arts of many devices. And the times of this ignorance God hath winged at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he ordained. God has ordained the future. Amen? And he has made appointments. And he has numbered your steps. He knows everything. As the psalmist said in Psalm 139, there is not a word in my mouth that he doesn't already know. He knows me. And that doesn't mean that I'm not here making free decisions. It means that God has ordained 
truths about me. Now, we believe in, I believe, I'm not going to make decisions about what you believe. I believe in compatibilism. That's this idea that the sovereignty of God is completely compatible with the responsibility of man. And that's going to be a subject for another day. So, but God is clearly appointed, ordained. Things yet future. So, we're going to get into what are the scriptural supports that they believe they have for this. Now, already we have seen that the reason they believe this is philosophical, that God doesn't know the future, that's a philosophical idea that they're now trying to imprint on the Scripture, and ignoring an a mountain of evidence. We covered all kinds of evidence last week that God knew beforehand even the free decisions that people were going to make. You with wicked hands took and destroyed what God has foreordained would happen, uh, all that stuff. So, so uh, setting aside, they set aside that great amount of evidence and they hold to this philosophical idea that God cannot know um, that, and, and a lot of their arguments, if you ever have the misfortune of running into someone who holds this position, well, I mean, if they, they need Christ, so hopefully you have the fortune of running into them and t- sharing Christ with them. But, uh, but they would say, they would argue philosophically about stuff like, uh, the future is not a proper object and therefore it cannot be known as a, as a true fact or something to that. Those are kind of the, um, kind of the um, philosophical arguments you'll run into, but the past isn't an object either. It's something already gone. It has no being, and God knows perfectly all things past. And as we're going to see, we're gonna, they're going to run into problems where, where if they hold to this, that they have a hard time with a God that even knows the present. And really, this ends up dancing on a, on a a knife's edge to try to uphold deity at all once you start going down this road. Um, So there's a lot of statements they make that is problematic. It's very humanistic. It's very, it's very, um, it makes man and man's freedom and man's perceptions the measure of all things as opposed to simply believing the truths of the scripture. But with that, setting that aside, we're not, we're not going to deal with this philosophically. We want to deal with it scripturally. And if they open the scriptures, we want to be ready to have an answer. So here are the scriptures that they are going to use. First turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And again, I am going to rely heavily on the notes uh, on, on just the outline here of Dr. Frame. Uh, so here we have, man has fallen, and God has come down in the cool of the day. And in verse 9, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou, or where are you? Now, this is a good starting place, because, and this is not going to be something really hard for us to grasp here. Uh, but they would take a text like this and say, See, 
God was unable to locate Adam. He did not know. Well, this is a very poor reading of the Scriptures. And this, does, this wouldn't even show that God is ignorant of the future. It would show that God is ignorant of the present. But what is he saying here? Why is God asking the question is what you and I really should focus on. And that, in fact, this is the first of four questions that God is going to ask. The other, the other ones are in verses 11 and verse 13. And what God is doing in these questions is He is acting like a cross-examiner. He is examining the situation in a way to make man admit the wrongdoing. We see God acting here as, well, ultimately as an advocate for man, uh, bringing out the truth of their confession as a skillful prosecuting attorney. He asks, where are you, Adam? And the same may be said if you go a little bit more. We we'll can, can just go and take these in order if we can. Genesis chapter 11. This is another kind of, of, of the same issue that an open theist will try to use to make claims about the knowledge of God. But here in, in Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel. And, and this is really based around an infinitive that is used for the verb here. And it says in verse 5, And the Lord came down to see. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. So here it is stated by some that He came down in order to have specific knowledge of what is happening. So this, of course, is the same problem as the first Scripture that was shown. Uh, we're not talking about the future, we're talking about the present. Uh, we're talking about the ability to Lord, the Lord, for the Lord to know, so it's trying to prove more than the open theist would probably really want to wish to show scripturally. That God is ignorant, not here of the future, but of the present. But the question we have to ask ourselves, why is He going down to see? When God draws near in Scripture, says Frame, to men... In Scripture, it is for blessing or it is for judgment. Here we see Him drawing near for that purpose, to see or to experience in a way. And what does He do? He comes down in judgment in this place. And He sees the wickedness not, on, not, not, not from the position of, of reigning over them, but as experiencing in a, in a more intimate way their very their very wickedness, and then bringing judgment upon them. Which brings us, as we're moving forward, we're moving into more complicated matters, go to Genesis 18, and we have the situation in Sodom and Gomorrah. So, Genesis 18... Genesis 18 and verse 21... The Lord talking to Abraham says, 
I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. Now, while the first two were a little bit more simple, this one is going to be a little bit more nuanced. Does God here admit that his visit to Sodom will help him gain information that he did not already know? That would be the point that the open theist would, this is the text they'd go to to say, okay, here we have divine ignorance. That's the claim, divine ignorance. Uh, Frame makes several points I think are very worth. Once again, the same problem here. We're talking about the knowledge of the present and not knowledge of the future. And you're going to have to not only deny that God knows, but that God is present. You're going to have to deny a whole lot about God to sustain the claim that is being made in a text like this. But we know He is present. If I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I go to, if I take wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost parts of the earth, I don't escape the presence of God. Psalm one thirty nine. So we're, we're so we're on the verge. If we go down this line of argument of saying of denying about many of the things that we know of God to be true, and again, most specifically, we're talking about the present, not the future. As also in the two earlier passages, said Frame, the emphasis is not on God, uh, on God gaining information, but rather on God gathering evidence in a forensic way to present an indictment. And I think the story bears this out. He is going to go. The angels are going to go there, uh, and they're going to present themselves there on the streets of Sodom where the men of the city are going to come out against those angels and they are going to, uh, to attempt to sin against this messenger of God. So we don't have here, so we have an issue where a, an indictment is ready to be made with very specific and concrete evidence prior to judgment. And then also, taken literally, third, taken literally, the verse does not ascribe an increase to God's knowledge. What is, how are we to understand what's going on here? We're to understand in the same way that we understood, well, we're going to get to that here shortly, but the same way we understood the broader context of this. The Lord was making himself known to Abram. In terms that Abraham knew and understood, he sat with the Lord, he ate with the Lord, he was known in his experience to Abraham. And now we take a flip side of that very same idea where we have this anthropomorphic idea being applied to God where he is going down to know now the state of the wicked. The terms are literate, and he's known in terms that are conducive to our way of knowing. There is an accommodation of language here that you and I understand that has, that has a broader implications to his omniscience. And I want us to understand this here. Omniscience text is vastly greater 
We don't throw away the, what we believe about omniscience just because we run into a text. And it's the fundamental ground of our confidence and everything else. If he is coming down to know, he has a specific reason to know in the terms that he knows. Now, what do I mean by this? Here we have the Lord going down to Sodom. to know the wickedness of man by experience. And what does this foreshadow? There is this, uh, we would call this, we call places like this where he appears to Abram and now he's appearing in Sodom. We call these theophanies. Have you all heard that term before, theophany, right? What is a theophany in the Old Testament? Or Christophany, some people will call them Christophanies where Christ shows up before he was ever born. <laughs> and, he, and, and, and he's showing up all, all, all these different places. The Lord said unto my Lord, set thou out of my right hand. So, so all, all over the place there is, um, there is the angel of the Lord, the messenger of Yahweh who receives the worship that belongs to Yahweh, that speaks with the authority of Yahweh, that is called Lord, that is called Yahweh that is seen. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. Why? Because before Abraham was, I am. Those are the theophanies. And here we have a theophany where he is going to experience, possibly experience, the wickedness of men. And it foreshadows something. An anticipation of a greater theophany, an incarnation whereby the incarnate Son, who knows and is also unknowing, who knows our experience and experiences our limitations and ultimately experiences the great depth of man's wickedness. There's a lot to be preached here. Uh, when, so Christ was going to be fully human and fully God. As God, He know, would know all things, but as human, He would increase in wisdom and in stature. He would understand. He would experience. We see that foreshadowed here. As we've seen, with, um, even though Jesus was omniscient on earth, also He had experiences of limitations of His knowledge, and those are even wonderful places of worship for you and I. So we see a foreshadowing here. But still there's greater, broader principles, and I want us to think about uh, this as well, just as far as theology, that God is not only transcendent, but He is fully present, and He shows that full presence even down to possibly experiencing wickedness at the hands of men. Uh, God is an experience of, our, of, our, of ours in time, and we see that here uh, as well. So we conclude that God has made Himself known in our terms. And that is what is happening in Genesis 18. I feel like I've kind of babbled through that one. Hopefully it made sense. But now let's go to other scriptures. Genesis 22. We're just doing a survey of open theist proof text. Open theist proof texts. And we're going to try to give a basic answer to them. Genesis 22, 
We have the story of Isaac being offered. The story of Isaac being offered. And in verse 12, he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. All right. This is why we last week covered the exhaustive knowledge of God in all things. Because now we've got to start answering the harder text. All right, so what immediately jumps out here is that it is claimed that God is ignorant about what Abraham would do. So we finally reached a text that they would use to show that God is ignorant of the future. He doesn't know what Abraham would have done until Abraham did it. If there is a text that could possibly fit the open theist error, here it is. At least on the surface of it, right? Am I, am I wrong? <laughs> so this is a little bit more daunting, all right? Um, first of all, because of this text, are they willing to set aside hundreds and hundreds of texts that says that God is not ignorant of the future and has ordained that which has come to pass? Well, that's what they do, and that's what they apparently would wish to do. But here, here, let's, let's just consider this. The reference is an apparent proof text that is a little bit, a little bit less, appears to be a little less nuanced than those that we've looked at so far. All right, so here's the term. Let's, 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 let's look at it theologically here. This text is to be seen not as epistemological, epistes, I'll just put that, but as judicial. It's a judicial text and not an epistemological text. Now, why am I making that? God is looking for evidence And God is testing and putting Abraham to the test. And therefore, Abraham, going over there to James chapter 2, was justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. That word justified is a forensic term. So Abraham, in a point in time, was put to the test and was justified. He was given evidence before the bar of God's justice, forensically, that he feared God. And that's what God says. Now, 
in the process of time, I know you fear me. You fear God. We see even talks, God even speaks in the third person, almost as a voice of an advocate or a voice of an attorney speaking on behalf of the evidence that was brought forth. Again, it's legitimate to speak also here of the anthropomorphism uh, is grounded in God's involvement in the temporal sequence. God did not. God, God was involved in this entire sequence with Abraham. He was commanding Abraham to go, and now he stands before Abraham and experiencing a sequence of time with Abraham and speaking with Abraham in the course of events and declares this justification of Abraham here. So there's anthropomorphic ideas that are being brought here. Uh, so I don't, want, I don't think we need to talk more about this because we already kind of covered those in the last one. But this is not a text that shows that God is ignorant. This is a text that shows that God is just and brings forth justice in time, judgment in time, um, where we are. So let's go to more. Let's go to more. Um, go to Deuteronomy 13. I want to give a really. I want to try to give an honest survey of the, any texts that are possible. There are very few texts uh, compared to those that mount up against. And what we're seeing, hopefully, what I am seeing. <laughs> is also what is being shared because I don't always know that I'm doing a really good job of communicating them, but uh, is that these texts are read wrongly or they're read wanting to fit a doctrine on top of them instead of being read based upon the whole of Scripture. So Deuteronomy 13 and verse 3. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proves you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Here we have again uh, the, the focus on one infinitive, that he is proving in order to know. That's how they would look at that infinitive, in order to know. Uh, so... The language of finding out here is brought forth as proof of an open theistic view of God uh, or, uh, or, or such. Now, there's all kinds of texts that speak of God finding out or searching things in the Scriptures. Uh, uh, we, we saw, most notably, we saw in Psalm 139, you have searched me and know me. Uh, so, so the searching language is is not unfamiliar language to be used in the scriptures. God knows how to test us. The search will come out, but the fact does not make the actual test superfluous or meaningless. Just because God already knows all things about you, we don't know, <laughs> and. And that has not been brought to bear upon us. 
Scripture stresses the importance both of the divine sovereignty and human responsibility, and God is make, God in time makes that responsibility uh, brought to uh, something that is brought to bear uh, forensically uh, as well that we may know as well. God responds to our responses to Him, so our responses to the test are important to God and His and His. Um, approval or disapproval being known in those tests to us is important to God as well and important for Him to express and for us to grasp. I know that that was babbling just quite a bit there, but hopefully that made made sense because I'm trying to to bring some of these notes, uh, to condense them down quite a bit. Let's go to Jeremiah 26. We're, we only got about four or five more of these. So I want to try to get through them. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 26. Jeremiah 26, 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house all the words that I command thee to speak unto them. Diminish not a word. If so be, they will hearken. If so be, they will hearken and turn everyone from his evil way that that I may repent of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doings. Now, later on, we're going to discuss this idea of God repenting, um, this, or what would be called uh, divine relenting, if you would. Um, and that's going to, when we discuss immutability or un- the unchanging nature of God, we're going to have to tackle that. So we're not going to tackle that portion here. What the open theist is drawing in on is those very first few words. Here in the King James translated, if so be, they will hearken. If so be, they will hearken. Some other translations uh, will, 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 will translate that perhaps they will listen. And that's what they would zero in on. This says this idea that God does not know whether or not they will listen. That's the argument. So here... God sometimes announces judgment not for the purposes of describing His eternal plan, but for testing a response of His people. Uh, the test is not complete, of course, until the response has actually taken place. Until then, Frame says, the test is not finished, the results not sealed in reality. So positive and so both positive and negative responses to hearing the gospel are are possible, and there is an element of uncertainty about that response. And now they're wanting to they're they're wanting to attribute that element of uncertainty to God by Him expressing this term, perhaps, or if so, be that. So is this a legitimate? Is it just a legitimate question being raised? And this isn't the only place. Ezekiel 12.3 is another place. Or, or the words of, Nin, of the king of Nineveh in Jonah. What did he say? 
Jonah preaches. He says 40 days, yet 40 days, and this is going to happen. And they fast and even have the cattle fasting (laughs) and the livestock. And the words were, who knows whether God may turn and relent. So the element of uncertainty is in the response made by the creatures and not in the response and not in the knowledge that God has. Uh, God is eternal. He knows the end. Let's remind ourselves again of the exact words of Isaiah. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew I was going to get saved. He knew you were going to get saved. He knew you were going to come to church this morning. <laughs> Even at point in time that you didn't know whether you were going to come to church yet. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've got a little bit of a cough, right? <laughs> Maybe it, No, but he knows. And this idea of the uncertainty of the response is something that is forensically known in time by us that is that is brought forth as evidence within the testing it's not that god doesn't know it's we didn't know (laughs) and that's brought out more here by jeremiah Um, there is a whole group of passages uh, that talk about god remembering and uh forgetting which uh, we're not going to take time because it's already 11 40 uh, and and I don't want you all to fall asleep or fall out of your pews or anything, uh, but uh, we we know what they are. For instance, John chapter or not John, but Genesis chapter nine. God remembered Noah, um, uh, forgetting our sins, things of that nature. So this idea of God remembering and forgetting these are kind of linchpin for an open theist. Uh, the, these texts do not. Sim- simply means to fulfill or, or simply means of fulfilling a covenant promise. Uh, and, we, and it is anthropomorphic language. It is language that makes sense to us because we can't wrap our mind around God. So when God revealed himself to us, how did he reveal himself? He revealed himself in language that you and I can understand. Uh, and Therefore, when he talks about remembering his covenant or remembering his promises uh, or forgetting this or forgetting that, that is more descriptive of an exercise of his covenant than it is anything else. Uh, We don't uh, don't take the view, uh, and and I love this, uh, Frame had this in a note, a quote from Wilson, where he said, where where an open theist will read texts like that and they picture God like, all right, Noah. I was supposed to do something with Noah. <laughs> like, like he was not present and sustaining Noah the entire time. The remembering language is not an a, uh, aspect of God's, uh, of any kind of divine ignorance on the part of God, but rather language connected with the fulfillment of his promises, fulfillment of his covenant. God never actually forgets. Um. Uh, and that could be brought to bear on many claims. Among the passages also claimed to support divine ignorance by open theists is, an op- is a parallel uh, group of Jeremiah 
where he says, for instance, in Jeremiah 7.31, talking about, it's also in Jeremiah 19.5 and 32.35, where he said, talks about how they built uh, images to Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnon to offer human sacrifices. And he said, I did not command it. And in Jeremiah 7.31, neither did it enter into my mind. All right, this will be the last one that we kind of talk about here, but because, man, I'm, I'm running late. Uh, neither do, the, the idea here is that God never entered into the mind the possibility that they would ever offer human sacrifices. Well, here's the problem with that. God obviously did enter into his mind long before the days of Jeremiah because in, uh, because in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, it, or I mean Leviticus 18, 21 and Deuteronomy 18, 10, it obviously did. He warned against it in the giving of the law, that this could possibly happen. So it's not going to be taken as, uh, as a proof text for divine ignorance because God in His foreknowledge already knew that was a possibility. So what does He mean when He says, neither did it enter into my mind? The Hebrew word, lev, for heart, speaks of intentions, not well, here it's here in our text. It's 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 rendered mind because the heart is a thinking thing. As a man thinks in his heart, uh, they they don't make that differential in the in the Hebrew uh, language. Uh, so I'm not saying the word mind is a bad translation. But what hits here is that he did ne- he would there was no intentions. It never came out of his heart that his people would ever choose to do such a thing. It doesn't assert divine ignorance, but a heart after his people for them to do well and not to do wickedness. Uh, So that's just a a review of the passages uh, that are used by open theists to prove, uh, and hopefully that was a blessing to you. Next week we're going to deal with uh, another... another, view of God's knowledge, and we're going to try to understand something called middle knowledge or Molinism. Uh, and then we're going to, the week after that, we were going to spend a little bit of time just talking about the wisdom of God. Uh, any questions, complaints, or grievances? I feel like I stumbled all through that, but that's, that's all the possible arguments this week and last week that we have for this error called open theism. Any questions or anything that I did not, and probably I didn't explain some of it very well, but hopefully it made sense. Can you think of any others that maybe we didn't deal with? We're going to have to deal at some point, but that's going to be under Christology where Christ says, uh, uh, that the Father knows, but the Son, the Son does not know the day nor the hour. Uh, that's not something that was appropriate to deal with here, because uh, that's not something that teaches divine ignorance or 
uh, or even can be construed to talk about divine ignorance, but that's something specific to Christology um, that we'll deal with in the future. You just want me to be quiet so we can <laughs> move on? All right, we've got about 10 minutes before the second hour.